Good morning, welcome to Convocation. I trust everybody had a good weekend uh, heading into this last week before midterm break. Um, following Friday's chapel, uh, I asked Becky if I could make a brief uh, announcement, not announcement, a few remarks this morning, and so I want to do that before we begin. Uh, these remarks are my own, however, I'm confident others share them with me. Um, following the, the convo, or chapel on Friday, I thought to myself, uh, you know, each day we each have choices. Uh, and one of those choices on Mondays and Fridays is whether or not we come into this space for convo or chapel. And within this space, we also have choices. Uh, those choices are either to um, engage or disengage in the content. Uh, the choices uh, may include on the engagement front, respectfully listening and participating. On the disengagement side, opting to listen to music, study, uh, get caught up on social media, or openly have conversation with our peers. Uh, and I don't think this is new news. Uh, I've, I've experienced this multiple times, and I think we've all experienced it from time to time. So I, I asked Becky if I could make a few remarks, because to me it's problematic uh, to walk in these doors and disrespect the folks who have planned, who are presenting, and have invested a great deal of time and effort to, to put something together for our community gathering, whether it's Convo or Chapel. So I want to ask all of us, uh, as a broader whole, as a community, to think about how we choose to leverage this time. Clearly, there are multiple places on campus, all over the place, to study, listen to music, to think about social media, interaction, and to have conversation. And, and my request, rather than consider bad behavior in convo, conversations I've been a part of, and, and consider taking credits away, is to simply make a corporate request that as a community, we just try to take it to the next level and respectfully engage those who have planned and provide content in these gatherings. So today I ask us to consider to do that. And, and if we can do that today, might we also consider doing that Friday in chapel for the Women's World Choir uh, as they present before they go on tour. Those are my remarks. I'm happy to be around after this gathering if, if you want to visit further. Uh, but, but Friday was bothersome to me. It's been bothersome to me from time to time throughout this year, and I just wanted to make that request today. Thank you.
things in my mind, Lord. Please. Hello, my name is Tyra Carver, and welcome to today's convocation titled Black History. Uh, what you just saw was a praise dance by Antiana Terrell to the song Chains by Kurt Franklin. We apologize if we go over time today, but we promise that we'll get you guys out before your 11 o'clock class. Um, as many of you know, February is the month to celebrate black history. As African-American student here on campus, it's something special to me to be able to express and share my roots with you all. Today's convocation will consist of things around African-American culture and many important African-American related topics. After today, we hope you all will gain the positive, we all hope that you all will gain the positive awareness about African-Americans, as well as implement these things in your everyday life. And we also hope that you all will gain the awareness about racial issues going on around the world. So first up, we'll have Trevor Emery uh, reading a personal story. Hello, my name is Trevor Emery. I'm currently a second year here at Gozen College. I plan on majoring in exercise science and furthering my education and becoming a physical th th therapist. I was born and raised in South Bend, Indiana and graduated from Washington High School. I am black. This may seem obvious to all of you, but it didn't used to be that clear to me. I am what you would call biracial, mulatto, mixed races, etc. My father was African American, my mother is Caucasian. My parents separated before I was born. For the first five years of my life, I thought I was pure white. No one could tell me any different. I grew up in South Bend, Indiana being totally accepted and loved by my mother's entire family. In my childhood mind, I was just like them. My father was never a part of my life and died during my teen years. So he had no input on shaping my identity. It wasn't until I was a kindergarten, playing at recess, that I realized I wasn't 100% white. A classmate wouldn't let me play tag with him when I asked him to play several times, he refused. When I asked him why, he said it was because I was a nigger. I didn't know what that meant, but I figured it had to be bad because he wouldn't let me play tag. I asked my mother that, that day what a nigger was while we were driving home from school. She almost slammed on the brakes. I could tell she was a bit upset. She asked me where I heard that word. After I told her where, she said it wasn't a nice word. She told me that some people call black people that just to be mean. When I told her I wasn't black, she informed me that I was indeed black and that I was also white. My mother said I was the best of both races. But at the age of six, I don't think I believed her. 
I began playing with all the black kids during recess at school because they accepted me and didn't call me names. But when I got home and played with my white cousins, they accepted me just the way I was. I thought I was living happily in both worlds until I got to high school. My freshman year at Washington High School changed my views of myself and of the world. The high school I attended was predominantly made up of black students. I was apprehensive about my freshman year because I was attending a metal magnet school outside my district in order to get a head start on my college career. I knew I wouldn't know many, many, if any, kids who went to school there. What I did not know is how my mix and heritage would come into play again at this time in my life. During my U.S. history class, one of my teachers, Mr. Davis, asked the class a question about slavery. Another student asked, asked the white boy. I looked at all the white guys in the class, thinking he was speaking to them. But no, he and almost all other students were looking at me. When I realized he was talking to me, everyone laughed. I said, white boy? He said, yeah. You talk like a white boy. He was inferring that I wasn't black and that I did not belong and that something was wrong with me. I would be lying if I said that this didn't bother me. His words taunted me almost my whole freshman year. It wasn't until March of that year when baseball season started that my outlooks changed. When I got out on the field and had my teammates by my side, his words began to fade away. My teammates didn't care how I talk. They didn't care what color I was. The only thing they cared about was if I could play ball and play good. There was no color. They realized I didn't, I realized I didn't talk like a white boy. I talked like me. By the time I reached my senior year, no one called me white boy. Even if they did, it didn't bother me like my freshman year. For I know who I am. I'm black, I'm white, I'm a man, and I'm me. Thank you. Uh, how's everybody doing today? Uh, I'm Jerron I'm Jamerson. Uh, a communications major and a senior here at Goshen College. As you can see, uh, me and my sister was a little bad as we was younger. <laughs> uh, that's my dad and my mom, and then that's my grandmother right there, and that's my first cousin on the right, and that's my sister right there at the bottom. Um, I am black, and I honestly love it. But growing up, my best friend was white, though. The first time I met his family was when I truly realized that race should never determine whether you like or dislike someone. I would go to their house every weekend, and I'm still friends with them today. Through my 13 plus years knowing them, they never treated me different, and they even called me their son as well. My mom and dad always show him the same respect. Us being two different races is what, actually think, is what I actually think made our friendship as good as it is today. There was never a day in elementary school where if he was in trouble, I wasn't, and if I was in trouble, he wasn't. It was either both or nothing. 
the point that I'm really trying to get at today is that don't ever let race blind you from being able to get to know somebody because you never know who you would end up being able to come good friends with at the end of the day. Thank you. Hello, my name is Jesse Lohan. I'm black and I'm adopted. I was raised uh, in, in Goshen, but was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to two young teens. My birth mom was white and my birth daddy was black. At a week old, I was adopted by an all-white family from here in Goshen. Growing up to the age of three or four, I thought I was the same as everyone, until I realized my skin color was different. I didn't look like my brother, sister, cousins, or anyone in my family. I asked my adopted parents, who I referred to as mom and dad from now on, why this was. I could still hear my mom saying, Jess, are you sure you want to know? I always insisted that I did. My mom and dad would tell me I was adopted because my birth parents wanted me to have a better life where I could be happy and experience new things. Growing up, I knew what adoption was, knew what adoption meant, but I really didn't know how it worked. I thought my birth parents just gave me up the classic, they didn't love me nonsense. When I matured, I realized this was obviously wrong. I couldn't really understand why I was black, why there was any color barrier. For a few years, I hated my skin color. I didn't necessarily want to be white, I was just tired of the name calling, tired of thinking everyone was looking at me because I was the only black kid in a restaurant or at a sporting event. Not only was being adopted difficult, but looking so different in a small town of Goshen. I had no black friends or teachers until about middle school. I routinely got made fun of or called racial slurs like nigger because I was black. In my early and middle teen years, I felt really out of place being black. Because I played a lot of soccer, I was used to being around white or Hispanic kids. I remember going to Target one day and the clerk asked me whether I played basketball, football, or track. I just stared at her and with a chuckle said soccer. Even then there was already a stereotype of what sports I was supposed to be, supposed to be in because of my skin color. Even if I was around black people, I felt awkward. I didn't really know how to relate to them because for so long I had been in a culture where I didn't get much interaction with people of my color. Not knowing my birth family left a space in me because I felt like I was missing a part of myself. When I was 17, I met both sides of my birth family. Although I didn't know my birth mom's side of the family, I felt more comfortable because I had grown up in a family full of white people. When I met my birth dad's family, it was a different culture than what I was used to, but they made me feel accepted because they always said they included me and mentioned me in things even though I wasn't physically there. As I visited a few more times through the years uh, with both birth parents, the more I visit my birth dad, the more normal as a whole I become. The space I hadn't had filled for years because he and I had no contact, was starting to become complete. I can honestly say I feel almost as comfortable at his house as where I grew up down the street here in Goshen, and I love that. He, his wife, my baby half-sister, and the rest of my birth dad's family make me feel normal. I don't have that awkward feeling walking around with my family because I'm the big black kid with all these white people. In Philly, I'm the same shade as others. As others. I look like my birth dad, and he his. It's a great feeling actually being in a room with people who actually look like me. I continue to compare and contrast both cultures I live in. I love being able to experience both because it gives me an idea of what life may have been like if I weren't adopted, but also makes me appreciate how lucky I was to be adopted by such great people that gave me a brother and a sister. My mom and dad gave me the chance to experience new things and travel. They gave me a life I would have never had if I were adopted, and that's exactly what my birth parents wanted for me. I love them both for that, and I couldn't ask for better parents.
My name is Antiana Terrell. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm sharing a piece that I wrote that describes what it's like for me to grow up. I am who I am. You are a strong, beautiful, African-American woman. It's what I tell myself every morning when I wake up and look in the mirror. This took me forever to believe. Well, the strong, beautiful, and African-American woman part. As a little girl, I would I would, as a little girl, people would tell me I'm white because of how pale my skin complexion was. I constantly contemplated my true identity, what my true identity was. I would frequently cry because I despised the idea of being the target of everyone's mockery. The truth of my identity haunted me and still haunts me to this day. In order to keep me from confusion, my parents kept things simple and told me I was black. My father told me, I am black, therefore you are too. So every time someone asks me what I, what I was, I, ans I always answer, black. When the time came right, my, finally, my mother finally sat me down and told me that her family was much more complex than my father's side was. She said I was white, black, Puerto Rican, French, Italian, and Native American, along with so much more. This was way too much to put on an application, so I stick to African American. It's easier, and it is who I am. Over time, I thought people would mature and stop joking around with my identity, and, but they didn't. In middle school, I got the nickname White Girl. I went to a majority African American school where I was the lightest person in the school. People thought I lied about my parents, and they did not believe that, believe me when I introduced them to my dad. Everyone thought that my dad was white, and they never understood how I could be so light if my father was so dark. In high school, I was given the nickname Light Bright. My mommy had another conversation with me. This conversation was, much, was more so about my birth. She explained to me that the nurses confused me with some random black boy in the hospital. She went off on the nurses until they found me. They had to put special bracelets on me and my mother as well, so that way they wouldn't fail to bring me back to her. She said that the main reason this happened was because I was born with blonde hair and blue eyes. In other words, I look like a little white girl. Things did not get any better. My dad's family did not think that he was my dad. They thought that my mom had cheated and lied about her pregnancy. Nobody understood how I was so light and everyone else was, wasn't. It was not that my mom cheated and my dad really was my dad, but my, blood, my mother's bloodline is what caused me to come out the way I look, like a white girl. Now that I'm in college, I still get asked every once in a while what my ethnicity is. And if I have enough time, I break it down so that they can understand my confusing story. Because of this, I realized I am who I am. I can't change that no matter how hard I try. My parents told me to embrace who I am and what I'm made of. So I'm proud of being a black. I'm proud of being black, and I'm not afraid to show it no matter who's around. Thank you.
you know, I got to gain control because I don't want to be nervous up here and mess up, so I got to do something a little goofy. Well, hi, my name is Nathan Orr. I'm a second year accounting and business major. I'm going to share with you a personal story that I had to dig up from my elementary school experience. I was a new student at Metacomet Elementary School, a middle class suburban school. A week passed and school started. I didn't know anyone and all the social groups and all the cliques were thoroughly cemented. Before school was to open the doors for all the students to enter the school, everyone would play outside, chit chat, or you know, work on homework that they procrastinated on because people still do that. I remember getting off the bus one day and someone pointed, kids are jerks. Before I even start, kids are jerks. So, you know, I'm there and confused, man. Everybody's standing there waiting for me. What does B&O mean? Until he further elaborated, Black Nathan Oreo. How you do that? Hey, work for me, Clicker. Work. How you do that? There you go. As you can see in the picture on the right, I was dark all of my life. There's no working up to it. There's no tanning process. It's just me being dark, so, you know, and that's me now, my mom and my little brother, my hermanito. All the kids, when they heard were black Nathan and Oreo, come on, it's not hard. My last name is Or, so they took E-O, put it together, Oreo. And, you know, everybody knows Oreos is a dark brown color, something that resembles my skin. So all of the kids, they participate in a gut-busting, six-pack building laugh. And I'm just there sitting in the middle of all of it. The jokes carry on for years. I remember coming home from school on the school bus sitting by myself. I would always think to myself, why didn't daddy have kids with someone who was lighter to balance me out? I mean, the joke was corny, but it did get to me. The kids from elementary school unknowingly programmed me to think that being dark was a flaw, that there was something wrong with being dark. I didn't realize it until very recently, and I'm a sophomore in college, and I wasn't forced to actually come out and say that being dark was a flaw. I saw it as a flaw. So fast forward to a Nathan that started dating. In my entire experience of dating, I've only dated two African Americans one that was much lighter than me, and one that was the same color, skin color as me. It wasn't until recently until Tyra, while in one of our meetings for this convocation, she made me say in actual words that I would overlook girls that were just as dark as me or dark in fairs that I would have a kid and he would go through what I went through. So I dated fairly Caucasian or Hispanic females. Now that I've grown up, I've learned a lot. First off, let's just address the dating situation. I don't really care about how long a person's hair is, their skin color, where they come from, their religious background. Love is love. And if I feel that love for that person, no matter what they look like, that's all right. I'm fine with that. I've come to realize that I'm dark. I've accepted it. 
I had to accept it. I was dark. <laughs> I was dark. There's nothing I could do. But on a more serious note, being dark makes me who I am. My skin color reminds me that my people and my culture have come a long way and we're just getting started. My skin color reminds me that no matter what I go through, no matter whatever hardships I go through, I'm able to persevere and carry on. Although my skin color is on the well done side on the skin color spectrum, that's all right, no problems. My skin color assures me that I have the tools necessary to get far. There are two lessons that I want everybody to leave here with today, or at least from speech. One, words are vital. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Because you don't know how one corny joke can impact a person's life. Words are vital, that's number one. Number two, be proud of the race and culture that you come from. Because at the end of the day, everybody sitting in this building today, we're all humans. We pump the same blood and we breathe the same air. I'll admit to many of my physical flaws and my physical features, but my skin color won't be one of them. Thank you, have a nice day. My name is Malcolm Stovall. I'm a first year communications major and I'm from Seattle, Washington. Yeah, I kind of had like the nappy fro thing going on there, so. <laughs> it is what it is though. <clears throat> my mother seemed very concerned when I packed all of my luggage into the pack of her four tourists. I didn't know if it was confusion or hurt but something seemed a little bit off. Sure, I was moving away from, at the age of 14 from my home, but then again, I was moving in with her mom, my grandma, to attend a Mennonite school in Salem, Oregon. I was making the relatively short four-hour trek from my hometown of Seattle, Washington, with an estimated three and a half million in its metropolitan area, to my mother's hometown of Dallas, Oregon, with an estimated population of 8,000. The drive was very slow with not a lot of talking from either of us. My mother helped me move in and the day later she left. It didn't take me long to realize that I was different in this new town of mine. When I looked around, I saw mostly white folks with a few Latinos here and there. I never thought of it as an issue though because my mother was white. The car ride with my mother seemed like a distant memory by the end of my second week of school. I got back to my grandma's house that day, and I remember it was a very beautiful day. The sun was out as Oregon was getting its last glimpse of summer. After dinner, I decided to get an ice cream cone from down the street at a place called Arctic Circle. <clears throat> I went there and got a generous cone for only 75 cents. As I was walking back, I was in awe of the beautiful sunset. So many colors mixed together in a magnificent peach and magenta combination. I was half a block from my house when I saw two boys my age coming in my direction. One was on a skateboard and one was on a bike. As they were coming closer, I noticed a smirk on the face of the boy on the bike. 
As he was passing me, he looked me straight into the eyes and yelled, nigger, and continued to pedal. I froze in my stride as I was shocked and petrified to what had happened. I couldn't muster any words to say and I felt defeated. I slowly turned around and watched him and his friend ride off in the sunset laughing. They were gone. They vanished. I told my grandma what had happened when I got home and she told me that I did the right thing by not saying anything. There was no initiative to find out who the kid was that said those things and I was left isolated by the pain of the ugly slur thrust upon me. I was defeated. But with that awful feeling of defeat came a revelation. I was no longer mixed. And trust me, I was not getting the best of both worlds. I put things in perspective, and I turned that hurt into something that I would never forget. I would no longer distance myself as biracial. I was named after the late Malcolm X, who had an unfiltered and undying passion for racial equality and recognition in this country. I knew that if my late grandma Ruth on my dad's side of the family could endure the hostility of the South during the Jim Crow era, if my parents could endure the hatred they received for years for being an interracial couple, I knew I could endure this racial slur. I had the darkest complexion out of all my siblings, and I had my father's hair and facial features. I proclaimed the struggle of my ancestors on my father's side of the family and would try to better the racial climate for future generations. That night, I, Malcolm Stovall, proclaimed that I was black, and nothing anyone could ever say could take that away from me. No one could take my own identity. That in itself is a victory that will never be tarnished. Like, like Tyra said earlier, uh, I just hope everybody, uh, we don't walk away and just perceive this convocation as negative. Um, now we're gonna just transition into a, um, a skit by Tyra, Jesse, 
Lania and Antiana called, Laura, why did you make me black? Black is the color of dirty clothes, the color of grimy hands and feet. Black is the color of darkness, the color of tire beaten streets. Why did you make me someone who receives the hatred stare? How come my bone structure is so thick? My hips and cheeks are high. How come my eyes are brown and not the color of the daylight sky? Why, Why do people, people think, think I'm useless? useless? How, How come, come I feel, feel so used? used? Why do some people see my skin and think I should be abused? Lord, I just don't understand. What, what is, is it about, about my skin? skin? Why do some people want to hate me and not know the person within? Black is the color of shadows cast. Black is the end of the day. Lord, you know, my own people mistreat me. And I know this isn't the right. They don't like my hair or the way I look. They say I'm too dark, too light. Lord, don't you think it's time for you to make a change? Why don't you redo creation and make everyone the same? Why did I make you black? Why did I make you black? Get off your knees and look around. Tell me, what do you see? I didn't make you in the image of darkness. I made you in the likeness of me. I made you the color of coal from which beautiful diamonds are formed. I made you in the color of oil, the black gold that keeps people warm. I made you from rich, dark earth that can grow food you need. Your color's the same as a panther's, known for beauty and speed. Your color's the same as the black stallion, a majestic animal is he. I didn't make you in the image of darkness. I made you in the likeness of me. All the colors of a heavenly rainbow can be found throughout every nation. And when all those colors were blended well, you became my great education. Your hair is the texture of lamb's wool. Such a humble little creature is he. I am the shepherd who watches them. I am the one who will watch over thee. You are the color of midnight sky. I put the stars glitter in your eyes. There's a smile hidden behind your pain. That's the reason your cheeks are high. You are the color of dark clouds formed when I send my strongest weather. I made your lips full so when you kiss the one you love, they will remember. Your stature is strong, your bone structure thick to withstand the burdens of time. The reflection you see in the mirror the image looking back at you is mine. <laughs> Today we will be showing a video by Francesca Ramsey called the N-Word Double Standard. Uh, we feel the video touches on every aspect of conversation that you can have on the usage of the N-Word. As you have heard in the students' stories, the racial slur, AKA the N-word, has been used. We apologize if this may have offended you. However, we wanted to bring this topic to everyone's attention as it is still a problem in today's society. Um, we felt the need to uh, play this video because we feel like um, it's a problem here at Goshen, on Goshen's, Goshen's campus. I know I have friends who ask me about this all the time, so um, we just wanted everyone to um, understand where we come from and we just wanted to express our feelings and this video kind of hits 
um, every single topic and every answer. To all my friends out there who always ask me about this, here it is. Hey friends, so as many of you know, this channel's not just about laughing, it's also about learning. So today I wanted to talk about the N-word, double standard. This is not a new conversation by any way, shape, or form, but it's one that's happened a lot in the media and here even on my channel, especially after my viral video, Shit White Girls Say, to black girls. You can say the N-word, but I can't? How is that okay? But most recently, the conversations come to light again after Madonna got into some hot water when she posted a photo on Instagram of her son and captioned it with the N-word. Now, this is not the first time that this has happened. Of course, we remember Gwyneth Paltrow and the infamous Paula Dean. And every time the conversation of a non-black person using the N-word comes up, there are some common questions and misunderstandings associated with it. So I wanted to break them down and give you my perspective. A little disclaimer, I do do not speak for all black people. This is just based on my personal opinion and my life experience. So if you are not a black person and you use the N-word, I don't care if it ends in an E-R or an A, chances are you're going to face some sort of backlash. And usually the excuse that I've encountered offline and on starts with, well, the N-word's not really a racial slur. It doesn't mean black people. It means stupid. That is absolutely incorrect. The N-word comes from the Spanish and Portuguese word for black, negro. So how do you take a completely benign word, the word for black, and make it into a slur? Well, you have to look at the word's historical context. The N-word was used to describe black people as they were being stolen from Africa, put into slavery, chained, lynched, raped, beaten, spit upon. So the word was created as a tool of oppression. Its historical context cannot be erased. Who is allowed to say it? In reality, everyone is allowed to say whatever it is that they want to say, but there will always be consequences for your words and your actions. So depending on who you are and where you are, there will be different consequences for what you say and do. And this is not something that's just related to the N-word or was just specifically created for this word. This is a regular occurrence. It's a matter of in-group versus out-group dynamics. So when you're a member of a certain group, there are things that are totally okay and socially acceptable when you're in that group. And for people outside of that group, you give them the side eye and it's just not okay. For example, for some reason, football players pat each other on the butt as a way to say like, good job and no one thinks twice about it. It's totally okay. But as soon as that football player steps off the field, if some random stranger walked up to them and started petting them on the butt, they would not be okay with it. Whoa, dude, who are you? Why are you patting my butt? We're not playing football. You're not a football player. This is weird. Something else I've encountered when it comes to talking about the N-word is the common idea that if you guys don't want people to say it, then you should stop saying it. I actually heard this most recently when I spoke at a college from one of the students at my talk and it was just like, all black people don't do the same things or act the same way or use the same language. Personally, I don't use the N-word and I'm not gonna begrudge anyone else that does it because you can talk about yourself however you want to. And there are some people that really believe that using the N-word is a way to reclaim it. It's like an act of defiance. You know, you have used this horrible word to oppress me and keep me down, so I'm gonna turn it around and change its meaning into something else. Furthermore, all black people are not tapped into some hotline. There's not a number that I can call and make decisions about what we should all do. Like, I can't call up Kendrick Lamar and be like, hey, Kendrick, 
I love Mad City, but you use the N-word way too much and it's making us look bad. P.S. You got robbed at the Grammys. That's not an option. And so, no. But the thing that bothers me the most is when people argue that it's just not fair. It's a double standard that black people can use the N-word and everyone else can't. The reason this bothers me so much is it's completely self-serving and disingenuous. These people do not care about fairness or any of the disparities that black people in this country and around the world face, because if they did, they wouldn't be arguing over the use of the N-word. Instead, they'd focus on real problems like job discrimination, housing discrimination, racial profiling, police brutality, the school-to-prison pipeline, stop and frisk, the harsher prison sentences that black people and other minorities face. They would rather argue that it's not fair that there are social consequences for people that aren't black who use the n-word. Priorities. You has them. So now I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the n-word double standard? Let me know in the comments below and whether you agree with me or disagree with me, let's try to keep this conversation civil and respectful. No name calling, no slurs, no vicious attacks because we ain't got time for that and if you cross the line you's gonna get blocked. Don't forget, I post new videos every Friday, so make sure to subscribe, and I will see you next week. Bye! The final part of our presentation, we'll be singing the Black National Anthem. Malcolm and Nathan will be singing the first two verses. We invite you to join on the third verse. The song is in your blue book on page 579. Just for clarification, me and Nate are singing just the first verse, and then you guys will come in at the third verse. Cool. All right. <laughs> Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the
My name is Devon Harris, and I've had the pleasure of working with these students to um, have this presentation for you. I hope that you learned a lot. Um, these students will be doing some sort of part two where you can interact with them, you can ask them about their stories, ask them about the N-word, that kind of thing. Um, so just be looking out for a date um, when that will happen, and thank you very much. Have a great day.